You're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM, Winnipeg. to Bikini Drive-In on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Bikini Drive-In's mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens while combining elements of screening media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Since we'll be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, content warning and listener discretion is advised, etc. Also, spoilers ahead. This week, I'm joined again by Sarah Atnikov. Thanks so much for recording with me again. Thanks for having me again. It's been a while. It has been a while, Mm -hmm. but like, Time is meaningless. Yeah, <laughs> time does not exist. Yeah, it could have been a minute. It could yeah. have been years. Who knows? Uh, Sarah Atnikoff is a freelance writer, executive director, and knowledge mobilizer living in Winnipeg. She has an ongoing project called Feminist Fonts that uses fonts to showcase the inner dialogue that helps to frame and break down patriarchal inequalities. You can see most of the things she's done at sarahatnikoff.com. Today we are continuing Anthology Month and discussing the 2012 anthology horror film VHS. Okay, here's the deal. We gotta break into this house, and all we have to do is steal this one VHS tape. Found it! You got it? Yeah. Which one is it? I don't know, man. Let's just look at these tapes, okay? So special about this tape, anyway. is a 2012 American anthology horror film featuring a series of found footage shorts written and directed by Adam Wingard, David Bruckner, Ty West, Glenn McQuaid, Joe Swanberg, and the filmmaking collective Radio Silence. The Framing Story, directed by Adam Wingard, focuses on a group of scumbags who filmed their exploits and includes that which includes smashing the walls and windows of an abandoned house and sexually assaulting a woman in a parking lot. An anonymous source offers them a large sum of money to break into a house and steal a single VHS videotape. The group is eager to expand their criminal enterprises, and they accept the task. Entering the house, the group finds an old man sitting dead in front of several televisions, playing white noise. Feeling free to roam the house, they discover hundreds of unmarked VHS tapes and set about collecting them all to ensure that they retrieve the right one. One member of the group stays behind in the TV room with a dead body to watch the amateur night tape left in the VCR. The contents of this tape and the four subsequent ones comprise the bulk of the film, with the action cutting back to the group's efforts between each short. So the first segment is called Amateur Night and is directed by David Bruckner. Shane, Patrick, and Clint are three friends who have rented a motel room to fulfill Shane's intent of bringing women back for sex. Clint's glasses have been outfitted with a hidden camera that will allow them to turn their planned encounter into an amateur porn video. Without the women's consent, by the way. So, while the three men are bar humping, uh, Clint encounters a mysterious young, young woman, Lily, who appears unusually shy and says little other than I like you. 
In addition to picking up Lily, the men bring another young woman, Lisa, to their motel with them. Lisa passes out as Shane attempts to initiate sex, and Patrick, laughing, discourages him from continuing. Lily continues awkwardly coming onto Clint, but, is deject but it is dejected Shane who comes onto her instead. He is oblivious onto the scales visible on Lily's feet as he undresses her. Lily appears responsive, pushing Shane onto his back and then be beginning to undress Clint, seemingly beginning a threesome. Overwhelmed, Clint goes back to the bathroom. Patrick disrobes and attempts to take Clint's place, but Lily has made it clear that she dislikes Patrick. Moments later, Patrick bursts into the bathroom, claiming Lily bit him. When they approach Shane, Lily sprouts fangs and attacks and kills him. Clint and Patrick hide in the bathroom until Patrick, still nude, arms himself with a shower curtain rod and returns to the room. Clint tries to wake Lisa and Patrick attempts to fight Lily, but she subdues him, drinks his blood, and rips off his penis. Clint escapes, but ends up falling down the stairwell and breaks his wrist in the process. Lily catches up to Clint, but due to his pain and fear, Clint is unresponsive, which is then upsets Lily. She crawls over to a corner and cries softly. He, her cries get louder, then turn into a horrific growl. Clint flees, begging bystanders. Clint flees, begging bystanders for help. But then he is suddenly lifted into the sky by Lily, who is transformed into a winged creature. The glasses fall off Clint's face, Clint's face, and hit the ground before the video cuts out. The next segment, directed by Ty West, is called Second Honeymoon. A married couple, Sam and Stephanie, travel to Arizona for their honeymoon. They visit a Wild West-themed attraction where Stephanie receives a prediction from a mechanical fortune teller, which claims that she will soon be re reunited with a loved one. That evening, off-camera, a woman comes to Sam at Stephanie's motel room and awkwardly tries to convince Sam to give her a ride the next day. In the middle of the night, while the couple are asleep, someone breaks into the room, turns on the camcorder and films uh, stroking Stephanie with a, uh, a switchblade. The intruder then steals $100 from Sam's wallet and dips his toothbrush in the toilet, which I love. Uh, the next night, someone enters the room again and repeatedly stabs Sam in the neck with a switchblade, filming him as he chokes on his own blood and dies. The camera then shows the killer, the woman from earlier, cleaning the blade while she and Stephanie make out passionately, revealing that the woman is Stephanie's lover. The recording cuts to Stephanie asking if she has a race to the footage. The third segment, Tuesday the 17th, was directed by Glenn McQuaid. Three extremely annoying friends, Joey, Spider, and Samantha, accompany their new friend Wendy on a camping trip. Joey films a group as Wendy leads them through the woods, occasionally mentioning accidents that took the lives of her friends. When scanning certain areas, images of mutilated bodies appear in the film. Wendy then, try, then tells them that a murderer killed her friends during a camping trip there the previous year. But the group, la the group laughs it off as a joke. Wendy later admits that she lured all three of them to the grounds to use as bait so that she can find and kill the mysterious force. Wendy also reveals that she had been to this lake before where the killer had slaughtered all her friends and she was the only survivor. Everyone in the group is eventually attacked and brutally killed by a human-like figure obscured in tracking errors named The Glitch. Then the next segment is titled The Sick Thing That Happened to Emily When She Was Younger it was directed by Joe Swanberg. This segment is shown through computer video chats, similar to like Zoom and Skype. Emily talks to her boyfriend James, a trainee doctor, about a strange bump on her arm and how it reminds her of an accident she had when she was younger. After witnessing a small, childlike entity rush into her room and slam the door shut, Emily believes that her apartment is haunted. Um, during her next video chat with James, an increasingly frantic Emily digs into her arm with a scalpel to find out what the bump is, but James urges her to stop before the wound becomes infected. Emily eventually attempts to contact the being, but it knocks her out. James quickly appears in her apartment and surgically removes an alien fetus from Emily's torso. It is revealed that the aliens are using Emily as an incubator for alien-human hybrids, and James has been working for them and removing the fetuses for some time. Then the final segment, directed by the film collective Radio Silence, is titled 103198 and takes place on Halloween 1998. Chad, Matt, Tyler, and Paul head out to a Halloween party at a friend's house, only to end up at the wrong place. Sneaking inside, they begin to experience paranormal phenomena and believe that they are at a realistic haunted house attraction and have fun in it. In the attic, they find several men gathered around a young woman who they have suspended from the rafters, apparently performing an exorcism. One of the men reacts angrily at their presence and physically assaults the young woman. Some of the men are then pulled upwards into the darkness by an unseen force, more violent, threatening, paranormal phenomena that begin to occur, 
and the boys initially flee before realizing that they should try to rescue the girl. Returning to the attic, the boys worked to untie her and get her to safety. Meanwhile, the house itself comes to life with ghostly arms rising from the walls and the floors swallowing the woman's captors. Exiting through the basement, the boys pile into their car with the girl and drive away. The car then abruptly stops and the girl disappears, reappearing in the street before them and walking away amid a flock of birds. The boys then realize that they have stopped on train tracks. The boys attempt to get out of the car as the train approaches, but they are un unable to lock the doors. The screen starts to flicker with static and the train smashes into the car off camera, killing all inside. Ooh, okay. It's a lot of talking. Um, <laughs> Sarah, what is, uh, was this your first time watching VHS? It sure was. And uh, I'd never, yeah, I had never heard of it um, before you suggested it. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was okay. <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I, like, I thought um, as a horror film, it mostly works because it has scary parts and gory mm -hmm. parts. But I just, like, couldn't get over the, like, gross dude-ness of it yeah. um, enough to, like, and we'll, we'll talk about that mm -hmm. later. But, yeah, I just, I couldn't get over those parts of it. Um, the, the segments that I like best were Second Honeymoon and 103198. Um, I did like Tuesday the 17th for the board, even though everybody was just like so insufferable in it. Yeah. I didn't think like the glitch things were cool. Um, the found footage treatment was, was worked super well with this, uh, for, for this film. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't like the thing that happened to Emily when she was young. I just, I just thought it was dumb. Um, <laughs> and, the, I only like the first one for the blood and genital eating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but overall, it was just like too dude gross. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it was because uh, the anthology slash like segmented format doesn't allow for much character development. Mm -hmm. um, and though this is just one movie, really it's just like it's six short ones. So that affected my overall experience with it. Um, I was, when I was looking for information on this, I was. It, was like super lauded at Sundance mm -hmm. as part of like the Sundance like midnight whatever mm -hmm. part, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, I think my issues with it was that it just seems like an, an easy way out sort of film. Like none of the stories were that inventive. Most, if not pretty much all of the male, male characters are totally gross. Um, and there was all sort of this tired, um, you know, even though this came out in 2012, I think it was still tired for, for that yeah. time. Yeah, totally. Um, misogynistic horror tropes like boobs, gaslighting, <laughs> all that. Um, I think the part that just like sticks in my mind um, was in Second Honeymoon where the husband is trying to get this wife to do sex stuff on camera and she's wearing her underwear like slash pajamas. Yeah. Like, you know, she's like scantily clad but appropriate. Yeah. Um, and he's wearing like a dirty t-shirt and sweats and he's like, oh, come on, baby. And I'm just like, yeah, of course he is. He's, like, trying to be, like, oh, let's do stuff. But she's just, like, no, it's sleep time now. And he's, like, oh, let's, like, do camera stuff. And he's just, like, bringing nothing to the table. Yeah, it was kind of rough to watch, like, different kind of coercion and weird yeah, just, weird dynamics. Like, and yeah. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but I did like the style of, I call them, like, the little horror nuggets. Yeah. Um, and, like, the pace kept my pandemic brain entertained because yes. I have been having a hard time lately watching, like, long, sustained things. Mm -hmm. um, I think if any of these stories were any longer, they wouldn't have been as effective. Um, I know there's a spinoff of the first film with the, like, succubus horror lady, mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't seen it. And I read the synopsis for it, and it really doesn't make me want to watch it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so that's what I thought about it. What about you? Um, I kind of like this movie, which is surprising, like, since, like, rewatching it and, like, doing research, but I, yeah, there are parts of it that I definitely liked. There are obviously problems with character development, like you said, and sort of weird choices that we'll get to later on, but overall, I think the two formats of the found footage and anthology work really well together. Totally. I don't mind the framing story. Um, I think it kind of sets up, like, this sort of creepy, I don't know, I just like it. It's creepy. Yeah, um, yeah Second Honeymoon and 103198 were my favorite segments also. And um, yeah, I just think it's creepy and gory and definitely feels like a low budget independent project. Unfortunately, it's also very bro-y and like all the worst parts of horror bro-dub like condensed, condensed into six segments. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, and like, and if you were wanting to do like an intensive in bro-horror-ness, yes. this is the perfect. Yeah. 
this this is like the course on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I just want to start by talking about anthology films. Um, so an anthology film is a subgenre of films consisting of several different short films, often tied together by only a single theme, premise, or brief interlocking event. And last week I covered the Japanese folk horror anthology, Kwaidan, from 1964, where every segment was directed by Masaki Kobayashi. Here, each segment, including the framing story, is directed by a different filmmaker, which I think is just a cool way to do it, and it's a cool way to have, like, different sort of styles, different, almost like different genres within this one, or different subgenres, I should say, within this one yeah. um, story. Are you a fan of anthology films? Um... I think so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I honestly don't have much experience with anthology films. Mm -hmm. um, I remember watching "Are You Afraid of the Dark" um, and "Tales yeah. of the Crypt Keeper" and "The Outer Limits" uh, on TV when mm -hmm. I was younger, uh, and being super into it because, again, like it's. I like short stories. Like when I'm mm -hmm. reading, I enjoy short stories. So this to me is like the sh the like film or TV equivalent of a short story. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, more recently, there's been, you know, like, American Horror Story, True Detective, Castle Rock, and Black Mirror, and mm -hmm. I, I like those two, but those are all, again, TV shows. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe I like anthology TV shows better than movies, uh, because even though they're, like, anthology, like, it's each movie sort of, like, could stand on its own in a way, it is still part of, like the whole mm -hmm. which still means like you do still have to watch like you know an hour and a half or whatever mm -hmm. and if you're watching one that you don't like that is like a longer one that the like it's hard to not want to just like skip ahead to the next one but mm -hmm. you like depending on the next one might have something to do like you might be missing a plot point in the next one if you finish the one before it or sorry you don't finish the one before mm -hmm. it so it's kind of difficult um yeah, like, it's a tough thing because for this genre, it's really the sum of the parts that make the overall impression. Like, in a regular movie, it can have, like, lackluster parts but still be good. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's that, I can't remember what quote it is, but, like, wow, is in the end and all is forgiven. Right. Um, but with an anthology, it's, um, like, because each segment is both its own thing but part of the whole, one bad one can ruin the bunch. Mm -hmm. Um but also maybe because they're separate parts, it's easier to say, like, I didn't like this one, but I did like this one, and not look at it as a whole. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't like the Alien one in VHS. I thought it was dumb, but I can more easily separate that from the other ones that I did. And mm -hmm. so, like, it doesn't necessarily say, like, if I say, like, did I like this movie? It was like, yeah, I like this movie except for this one. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's like kind of like where I started with it too. To break it apart. But, you know, all of that rambling yeah. <laughs> uh, being said, I think it's a super cool concept. I think that it has a lot of opportunity. And um, I appreciate, like, directors, whoever wants to attempt it. Like, I think, because it wouldn't be an easy thing to do. Because mm -hmm. it isn't like you can just take separate little shorts and put them together and be like, this is an anthology. I mean, I guess you could, but you need to have some kind of linking thing to mm -hmm. it. So I appreciate... Um, directors who attempt it mm -hmm. yeah yeah I totally agree it's cool cool concept but the characters are terrible yeah um, I feel like with this like found footage and anthology it like seems like maybe a bit more accessible way to make a horror film than maybe a full-length narrative or something that's like more straightforward filmmaking and not found footage so yeah as discussed in the Blair Witch Project episode found footage is a film subgenre in which all or a substantial part of the work is, is presented as if it were a discovered film or video recordings. The events on screen are typically seen through the camera of one or more of the characters involved, often accompanied by, by the real-time off-camera commentary. For added realism, the cinematography may be done by the actors themselves as they perform and shaky camera work and naturalistic acting are routinely employed. Uh, the footage may be presented as if it were raw or complete as is, as if it had been edited into a narrative by those who found it. The most common use of the of that technique in horror films is cannibal holocaust paranormal activity wreck cloverfield where the footage is purported to be the only surviving record of the events uh, with the participants now missing or dead and uh, i have a quote here from vulture.com kind of about found footage and vhs specifically so vhs combines found footage see paranormal the paranormal activity films the blair witch project and the devil inside plus horror anthology see tales from the crypt mario bava's black sabbath creep show trilogy of terror with each of the six segments dabbling in a particular subgenre, haunted house, slasher film, bad road trip, 
haunted apartment, assholes, assholes who get their comeuppance flick. Horror anthology films have always been troublesome. Their structure naturally forces viewers to compare the effectiveness of each segment against the others, with six stories to tell. VHS does a, does a surprisingly good job. Each story, save one, the nonsensical idiot teens in the woods tale, is a tense, surprising, and uses the found footage format in unique ways. That's interesting. I thought that the, like, I preferred the nonsensical idiot teens in the woods to the, like, I'm an alien human hybrid surrogate unknowingly one. But I um, despised the Choose of the 17th. Like, I... Really? Yeah, like, I, I'm i not sure if they were, like, intentionally do, trying to use, like, slasher sort of yeah. trope characters, but also then that, it did nothing. There was no, like, follow-through. There was no, like, I don't know. I just really hated it. And the, the second time I watched it, I definitely, like, skipped over that one. Oh, yeah. Sorry, everybody. I did not like that one. Yeah, I just liked it for the, like, for the gore. When I was yeah. like, yeah, dude, your face is getting smashed in. <laughs> it suck. Like, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, like, the, that, that one, it wasn't successful. I just enjoyed it strictly because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, great. This is, you know, here's Some an eyeball. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, when it comes to, like, found footage, one thing that I found myself thinking about um, with the use of found footage in this film is that it's used to, or it, it seems to be tried to use to, whether intentionally or not, um, to make us the perpetrators mm-hmm. um, in these shorts. Like, in the first one, our perspective perspective is that of one of the guys who is potentially going to rape a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really like that. Like, I'm not really down for that. Yeah. Um, these films all had college frat boy feel to them, and that's not really my jam. So, mm-hmm. like, being forced to be part of that because of the perspective didn't, didn't really feel good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that it added anything to the experience of, like, it didn't heighten the suspense. It didn't heighten mm. the, the horror of anything. And I don't think that these films were self-aware enough to be making this, like, a statement. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, none of this felt to me like any of these directors had any idea or purpose of, like, let's look at the terrible problematic things that are happening in each of these shorts, mm-hmm. like, that, that these men in, the, in them are doing it felt more like, well, boys will be boys mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and, like, the use of found footage in, in these films difference, differs from the Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity, where in those ones we were either passive viewers or, like, ultimately the victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I felt, feels, uh, I feel, like, allows for a more varied and nuanced perspective um, and is maybe more successful as horror because we don't know what's going to be happening. We're experiencing it as they are. And we're also a lot of the times a more sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know that we, in these things, we're ex- in these films, we're experiencing things firsthand, but because of the perspective, um, it, it didn't feel that like it, I didn't have sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wanted the terrible things to happen to each of these people. So mm-hmm. it felt less scary when it did. It like, totally. there was a couple times where, I mean, like, I think I was texting you as I was watching it and I was like, these guys are just terrible and I want them mm-hmm. all to die. Yeah. And yeah. Did, it wasn't like, Oh, it was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I totally get what you mean. What you mean. Um, yeah. I'm not entirely sure of the filmmaker's intentions with the framing story or amateur night. So yeah, like, are we supposed to empathize with the attempted rapists and sexual harassers, or are we supposed to feel some kind of some kind of catharsis when they're brutally murdered? And I think it has to do with like, yeah, the lack of self awareness. I think, and also, yeah, it complicates the viewer's relationship with perspective, like you said. Like we have same perspective as the, as the perpetrators and the victims, and it yeah, it just feels like the filmmakers are half heartedly trying to make some kind of comment about sexual assault. But ultimately, the point doesn't go far enough for me. And yeah, it's just like that lack of self-awareness or critical thinking, maybe. I don't know. Like, For example, again, in Amateur Night, Lily, the succubus monster lady, attacks one of the frat boys and rips his penis off. So we get like a sliver of rape revenge. But then when she's rejected by Clint, she starts crying and then flies off with him. So is she taking revenge on these creeps or is she like violently acting out because she's been scorned romantically? Yeah. And it just kind of feels, like, weird and just disjo- disjointed. Like, they've undermined her character in, totally. like, six minutes or whatever. It's just very yeah. kind I of I feel like this is, like, what guys 
are like scared of when they go to a bar mm-hmm. that there's going to be like a clinger or mm-hmm. you know either that or like we were talking before how like this is what you know a guy wants is some girl like some pretty girl to be like not saying anything looking at him with like doe eyes and being like I like you mm-hmm. and like that being it so it's like is this just like she's just this like she's just an object mm-hmm. in, in all of this yeah yeah, they kind of like. I mean, it feels kind of dumb to be like, "I wish this happened in this movie," but yeah. I, I thought like what was going to happen was that she was just being kind of this like doe-eyed, shy girl and being like, "I like you" to like as a way to lure, yes, to get a snack basically. Yes, yes, she's like, a snack getting a snack. Yeah, like, the perfect way for her to lure. Like that's what I want for Lily. Yeah, I just want her to be evil. Lily. Like it's just so sweet. Yeah, and. You know, and all the guys, they're like Paul and Chad and, you know, like they're just all dude. Like, ugh, it's just so dude. It's, it's so dude. And like, this is what happens, I think, like when there are no women in the room, right? Yeah. Like, yes, a hundred percent. Like, I wanted, I wanted better for this movie. And like, rather than empathizing, like with the terrible male characters, Amateur night and second honeymoon, probably like very unintentionally, they exist in the good for her cinematic universe. Yeah, I mean, that's what I like when in second honeymoon, when she's like making out with her girlfriend, I was like, good for you. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, she's way hotter than your yeah. <laughs> husband who wanted you to do camera stuff but was wearing, you know, a t shirt and sweats. Mm-hmm. Like, she at least, you know, she followed you and murdered him. Like, that's love. Yeah, and like the only segment that doesn't have like some gross loser like sexually harassing a woman is 10 yeah. and that one can be kind of like like yes these men like they're not gross and they try to rescue this girl and then she's actually possessed is that like saying that like men die in, in, the, in these films because women are evil <laughs> yeah that was a good point that I didn't think of it mm-hmm. like you know like you mentioned before they listen to Scott so they have to die yeah <laughs> So they have to go to jail. Yeah, so they something bad has to happen. Yeah. To start. But, like, that one was the one that I thought, like, even the guy's, like, Halloween costume when mm-hmm. he was the nanny cam, so he, like, dressed up as yeah. a teddy bear, that was so smart. Immediately, I was like, I appreciate this one a little mm-hmm. bit more. But, yeah, it was like, oh, they tried to do, like, they were the only, that was the only film where they ever tried to do anything to help any female character, mm-hmm. and it turns out that she's a possessed demon who kills them. Which I just love. Yeah, I love that too. I love that for her. I want, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, I want more of that. Yeah. It's also like, like, it is just like you said, it's like, oh, okay, cool. So this is just totally a statement where it's like, you're either like a murdering, succubus, penis eating thing, or <laughs> like, you know, a secret lesbian murderer, or you are growing alien Venus hybrids, or you know, like there's no, there's no, there's no good outcomes really for women in any of these. Yeah, but is that always necessary? I don't know. It just was kind of exhausting because the male characters are like so repulsive. Well, and that's the thing too that I was like, if they were like ten percent less gross. Yeah. Like, I'm not or if actually, like I don't know if there were actually like consequences for their actions yeah. that were more clear. I don't know. I don't know what I want from this movie. I like parts of it. Yeah, I like parts of it too. Totally. I think like as a like mindless watching bad things happen to people makes you feel good because it's not happening to you I like it but like if I use any part of my like woman brain it's like stop it (laughs) yeah like any sort of like critical thinking kind of like yeah like like any sort of critical thinking like even the littlest amount it's like oh Sarah why are you doing this it's like shut up I need to watch this yeah. because I want to be entertained. Because yeah. bad things are going to happen to men. Yeah. are <laughs> doing them. <laughs> That's but feminism, right? <laughs> this is the feminist, the most feminist movie ever. Yeah, right? feminist icon, VHS. Okay, here's the deal. we got to break into this house. All we have to do is steal this one VHS tape. 
the idea is, is they, they, they have been sent to the house to retrieve one particular videotape uh, that they haven't been told much about. They've just been told they'll know it when they find it. Which one is it? I don't know, man. It was really important for us to all to really come up with a good, legitimate reason why everybody's filming themselves. I mean, the only real kind of creative mission of VHS was just, you know, try to do something that we haven't seen a million times. In my segment, it is about a couple that is on a road trip um, trying to get some excitement back in their marriage. And while they're staying in their hotel, a strange person knocks on their door. I enjoyed this. You're holding a camera. And it sort of snowballs out of control from there. Please don't do this. What? I just said I didn't want you to record something like this. Our focus was to make something about really good average guys that make the right decision and then get punished for that. Our segment is about a character named Emily and her boyfriend James, who are in a long-distance relationship, and it takes place entirely over Skype conversations. My apartment's haunted. It's not haunted. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation. It's a story about a group of college-age dudes on their final night of spring break who come across a pair of video spy glasses and decide that they want to trick some girls into shooting a porno. And of course things go horribly wrong. What is going on? They wanted to see Something really cool about how unprecious this movie is and, and so when people are clapping and cheering and shouting, it just makes the film more fun to to experience. And that's that was the premiere experience at Sundance. It was it couldn't have been like more raucous. You're watching this? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. We, we had a guy pass out. I'd like to believe that. It just scared him so much. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, come on! Speaking of misogyny, I just have a quote here from Christy Puchko from cinemablend.com. So they write, First off, while nudity, especially female nudity, and violence against women are standard horror tropes, they are not inherently misogynistic. However, the, the, the way that both are utilized in VHS is insidious. In just the first 40 minutes of the film, the, its male protagonists ogle, pressure, and prod women for sex, commit sexual assault, attempt to covertly record a sex tape twice, and nearly commit rape on a passed out young woman. But not all women are sex objects or victims of these men's desires. Some are also monsters and murderers, and in one case, a literal castrating man-eater. While I believe we are meant to find these men vile, we're still invited to identify, identify with them by ogling these women alongside them. This is certainly disturbing, but not in a satisfying horror movie way. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that just goes back to the kind of like lack of self-awareness. Yeah, this is, when I read this quote, I was like, yes to everything in here. Like, mm -hmm. none of it is satisfying. It feels weird to be watching and to like be a participant in this movie. Yeah. The ways that we were sort of made to be because of the way that this movie was filmed, mm -hmm. and it's just yeah, it's just if it if it was, I think it misses out on opportunities for like humor and like nuance and all of those things that like really add to disturbing kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And that if it was a little bit like you know like ten percent even like I you know said that before, but if it was a little bit more self-aware, it could have done a lot more. And I mean, I, I understand that there are limitations because of the genre and because, you know, you only have like half an hour, mm -hmm. but you or, know, or there are short that, films like, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There are short films that do a lot with a little. And mm -hmm. I think that it was, you know, like you said, this was just because there's no women in, in the writer's room or yeah. involved any, anywhere. Mm -hmm. The more I'm talking about it, the more mad I'm getting. I was talking about uh, an episode on Starry Eyes a few weeks ago, and like this gave me the same feeling of like hanging out with people that I didn't even like in my early twenties. Yes, this is what this is like. This I think maybe that's part of why I like just don't like it. Yeah. Or that I not that I didn't like, but that I have these like obviously 
problems with it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's just like oh no we've all been there we and, know and these it, guys like we yeah we know these guys we mm-hmm. were probably friends with guys like mm-hmm. this before we were like oh we don't have to be before we read a and book then, or something but like yeah it's just like so and that's like I think when I was when I was saying about that it just seemed like the easy way out kind mm-hmm. of thing like these movies just not all of them but most of them did just sort of seem like the easy way out for it because it was like oh cool so you're gonna make a movie about like guys going to a bar because they want to pick girls up to have sex with tell me again how that's like not an everyday occurrence Mm -hmm. and like why a movie needs to be made about that yeah without without it necessarily like trying to comment in any sort of way or like yeah yeah like does it add to to that experience like are you mm-hmm. just like again like skimming the top with this like of just like here's another one pile it on mm-hmm. or is it going to be an actual comment on it or I don't know I mean to like you know this came out in 2012 which is not that that, yeah, long, not ago. that long ago so it's not like it's like we have to you know make allowances for it because it's from like the 80s or early 90s or something where mm-hmm. it's just like oh we have to remember it's like no no Things, we knew things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just really get hung up on that. Totally. Uh, yeah. The, bar, the toad one. Because it is, it, like... Oh, the first one, yeah. Yeah, the first one. Because it literally is, like, every... every yeah, and I and I guess I wouldn't have such a problem with it if they hadn't undermined Lily and yeah. made her just, like, like, a clinger, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Just make and her like, evil just, and I'd be much happier. Maybe it kind of, like, feeds into that, like, boys will be boys mentality or this sort of, like, pressure, like, peer pressure. But, like, Clint, the sort of, like, shy guy who's wearing glasses, like, he doesn't, he goes along with it. He doesn't really challenge his friends at all. No, he doesn't. And, I mean, if we, if, if this film was to have been, like, you know, that they, that it still would have, that, that Lily lures them back and, and is just doing this as, like, a, as a trick to get a meal Mm -hmm. it still would have fit in the like boys die and it's all women's fault which is like not a theme that i hate honestly yeah honestly i was like they good good for her good for them that's fine boys die at the hands of a succubus yeah love it love to see it thing yeah like i said i love that for her want more of it yeah um so yeah so the concept of vhs and the framing story made me think of the urban legend about snuff films so in which people are allegedly murdered on camera for commercial distribution. Uh, the first known use of the term snuff movie is in the 1971 book by Ed Sanders titled The Family, the story of Charles Manson's dune buggy attack battalion. He alleges that the Manson family recorded their murders and buried the, fr- buried the footage in the desert at Spawn Ranch in California. Um, the You're Wrong About podcast has a really great episode on the legend of snuff films. And the host discussed how the moral panic surrounding snuff films and the hardcore pornography were probably a reaction to the footage of the Vietnam War and this kind of like moral panic as a way to counteract real violent images that were being broadcasted. And sort of like one of the first instances of like violent images being in the home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a quote here. It's kind of long from the Japan Times about snuff films. Um, So the classic faux snuff film and the movie that brought the term into widespread use was the 1976 Grindhouse Nasty Snuff, also titled Slaughter, uh, was a take on the Manson family. The flick was brought up was brought up by Alan Shackleton of Monarch Pictures, who tacked the graphic a graphic onset murder scene onto the end and ran a cheeky press campaign that traded in "Is it real or not?" speculation. For those convinced of hippie depra- depravity, it seemed believable believable enough, since the Manson family had reportedly filmed one of its bizarre murders. Using the tagline, Made in South America, where life is cheap, it deliberately incited feminist groups to pick up the film, thus attracting free media coverage. Shackleton gave his CD film some notoriety and box office success, to the extent that undercover FBI agents attended the film's first screening. Yet anyone viewing the cheesy special effects of the tomato ketchup blood variety would instantly know that it was fake. Following a similar path was 1980's ultra-sicko Cannibal Holocaust, an Italian film that purported to be footage taken by a missing documentary film crew among cannibal tribes in the deepest, darkest reaches of the Amazon. This was, uh, this was some two decades before the Blair Witch Project, which would score uh, big with similar premise. Director uh, Ruggiero Diodato's stunt was so convincing that his film was seized by the authorities and he was soon facing a murder trial, 
which was only averted when he managed to produce his cast members alive and well in, and all in one piece. He had originally made them sign contracts to avoid all media contact for a year to foster the illusion that they were dead. It remains banned in many countries today. So I think the sort of gritty found footage elements and like the framing concept of VHS really work in the context of stuff of the snuff film urban legend and like each segment and the film as a whole seem like snuff. Yeah. I especially in like the framing video, I was expecting it to be that. Like mm-hmm. I you know, there was part of me that's like, okay, that that old guy's not really dead. <laughs> he's just like playing dead and he's gonna like because it you know, them getting a um a mysterious or an assignment to mm-hmm. go to this like you know deserted or abandoned house and pick this one VHS tape mm-hmm. seems like the perfect kind of you know setup for 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 murder mm-hmm. like that they would all get murdered yeah um and so that I was expecting something like that I didn't expect some like zombie whatever it was that yeah. ended up happening to them coming back alive and, and killing them all, but, mm-hmm. like, I was more expecting it to be, like, sort of a classic kind of snuff, like, mm-hmm. aha, I'm going to shoot you all now, or, or whatever, like, <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. A, a woman will kill them all. Yes, of course, yes. <laughs> of course. Men will die and, because women are evil. Yeah, a terrible woman will murder the guys who attempted, you know, who sexually assaulted and broke in and all of these kinds of things, because they just, they don't, they don't deserve anything. Yeah. My lord, this movie. It has a lot to think about. We have feelings on it that I don't think that either of us fully thought we had. Yeah, we're definitely working through some stuff. <laughs> on this yeah, obviously my times at the Toad when I was in my early 20s have affected uh, me. I'm going to puke. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like, I think I was just really surprised when I saw that there was like all this buzz about it at Sundance. It was like even like the midnight whatever and it was, mm-hmm. people were talking about it and, and everything and I was like, yeah, but what? Like... Um, it didn't like critically do very well I mean like mainstream critics they don't like horror or found footage anyway so yeah, yeah like I and like for- and it kind of people kind of like tore it apart or like picked apart the framing story because they're like oh but how did these movies all get onto VHS tapes it's like you need to like suspend your disbelief and just kind of let yes. it happen yes I think I don't think any movie really like can survive like picking it apart to that sort of detail like I'll pick apart, like, concepts, but not, like, sort of technical, like, things yeah. like that. like, yeah, I'm able to suspend my disbelief when I'm watching something, you know, like this. That's not, you know, that's not the things that I have issues with. And mm-hmm. I'm, I just, yeah, I just, I don't know, if, like, I don't know if it's because, like, I didn't know what to think of, because I hadn't heard of this really before. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a group of friends that, in the before times, when we could see people face-to-face, mm-hmm. we would watch horror movies together, and we all have different kinds of tastes of things. And like, it was one of those things where we were all talking and it's like, we've all seen pretty much like all the horror on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned that I was watching this and one of them was like, Oh, it sucks. Like it's not scary at all. And it's like super throwy. And I was like, Oh, okay. And that's the only, but they also like had suggested a movie to me that I was like, this is I, okay, cool, mm-hmm. whatever. But like, um, that was the only sort of primer to it mm-hmm. that I had because I hadn't, I was like, I hadn't watched it or heard of it before. So I was pretty like, I was like a new baby experiencing <laughs> life for the first time mm-hmm. in, in this movie. And so it wasn't that I had any, like, I wish like going in that I had preconceived notions for it or anything. So I think it was just the like unawareness of it mm-hmm. and the like tiredness of it. I think mm-hmm. that I was just kind of like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, this was a, like, I love, I think found footage is super cool. I think it is a really good element that can be used. And I generally do like found foot found footage movies. Mm-hmm. I generally like, I mean, like, I haven't watched a lot of anthology films, but mm-hmm. I do like anthology, like, TV shows that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if they can do it in an hour-long TV show, then, like, why can't you do it in a movie? Like, why mm-hmm. can't you make something that's, like, interesting and thought-provoking? And, like, yeah, if you want to use the, like, haunted house slasher like the the sort of tropes that they use Mm -hmm. there still is like a lot of material that you can use there without just like making it basically like you know a sorority pledge movie (laughs) like of like that level of of like dudeness you know what i mean like yeah yeah these dudes are just so gross yeah but yeah there definitely are like 
parts of this movie that I really like. And, like, yeah. I found, like, parts of it, like, suspenseful and scary and... I for sure, it has, like, like... Things that I like, like slashers, ghost stories, possession stories. Internet horror, very... Kind of, like, an early example of, like, an internet horror and, like, an early example of, like... Because we have movies like Host and... Um, yeah, I was just going to say Host, and I was yeah. like, I love Host. Like, I think it's so successful and mm-hmm. so scary. And so seeing that alien one, I was like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. This is like this is like that, except not at all, <laughs> because it's not scary or 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 good, really. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate the, like, early, like, oh, we have a long-distance relationship. And, yeah. You know, that kind of, like, that sweetness. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like, it is interesting to see things. Like, it's interesting to see things from, like, er, like not a long time ago, but just long enough where it's, like, cell phones and, like, the mm-hmm. internet and, like, certain things weren't as, like, incorporated into movies as they are mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when you watch movies where they're like, oh, I'm going to go, like, check the internet. Like, it isn't something that we do a thousand times a day. Like, yeah. it was a novelty. <laughs> So like when you know seeing things like that, so seeing that 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 segment of it was like kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wish yeah. it wasn't so broy. It's yeah, I think that's. Maybe, I think maybe like my like you know like I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> like I think <laughs> that maybe like that's how I feel about this. Is that like all of these like each of these segments could have been so much better or thoughtful or or something else mm-hmm. more satisfying mm-hmm. if it would have been done by like not dudes or if there had been like women involved yeah in totally because i feel like you can totally develop characters or like have a can like a cool story that isn't like based on women getting filmed without their consent like in yes. like a 15 minute slot in a short film yeah. or whatever totally yeah. Yeah. Like the one that was the most satisfying to me was the the honeymoon one. Mm-hmm. And that one what I found and that was like the simplest story mm-hmm. too. Like it was like the most basic, you know, you're getting followed by someone and then you're dead. And yeah. you know, but that one I thought was very effective in in both the use of found footage because it is very like we're going on a honeymoon and we're doing a road trip and we're making a video. So that, like, totally made sense to me. And the, you know, the dynamics between the husband and wife totally made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And there was this the scary parts of, you know, when it just all of a sudden there's, like, a knife being dragged. I, mm-hmm. You know, I remember being like, <gasps> like, oh, I did a, you know, I had a little bit of a, a, a start there. <laughs> and the, like, yeah. you know, goriness of getting stabbed and seeing that, like, really close up. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like, all of that worked. Yeah. And I think that, that one was the least, I mean, even though it, it was the most obvious of like, <laughs> of, you know, like your, your wife has left you for a woman. Like that's the most literal translation of like women ruin everything. <laughs> and this is all her fault. Yeah. It was still like the most plausible and the most successful, I think, yeah. in this where it was like, you know, cool. And then at the end when she's like, did you delete the footage? Like there still is that like, ah, coupleness. You know. <laughs> Totally. I also really liked um, with the first segment and second honeymoon, even kind of like the third one or the the last one, sorry, but like this kind of like use of like liminal space. I guess like the the strange thing that happened to Emily when she was younger, it's very much like based in the home and kind of has like a home invasion element. But then the other ones have this kind of like you're in this like, yeah, liminal space where you're not at home. You're in this like hotel, this kind of like unfamiliar space. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. I didn't really think about that. Well, because I remember, what was it, in one of the um, articles that you posted where it was like a beginner's guide or whatever, mm-hmm. where it was like, things were bad, things happen. Yeah. Like, a hotel, a hotel, a haunted house, <laughs> like a haunted house. Like, it was basically like, like okay, pick one of the following places to have your scary mm-hmm. thing happen. Yeah. And so, like, other, yeah, there, the home invasion sort of aspect of it, it was the only one where it was like, there was a little bit of like you're rooted and you're supposed to be safe, which mm-hmm. again is terrifying. Like thinking mm-hmm. of like, I always think of that when I'm like opening my door, I'm like, what, what would I do if somebody was in my apartment? Oh my I God. Oh my God. That's so right? scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's like so- what I'm so afraid of. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. It's like so it's scary. Terrifying. But it's also like a horror trope, right? And I think there are ways that you can like use these tropes like haunted house, slasher, ghost yeah. stories, possession stories in a really great way without sort of, like, relying on bro horror, 
I know. Everything that we come back to is like, you can do these things without being bro Yeah. And that is, I think, the like fatal flaw in, yeah. in is that it's just too bro It's my only for- note. So, so yeah, that's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much, Sarah, for, for watching this movie with me and for talking about it. Thanks. We're just really just like airing our grievances. Oh yeah, this is like therapy. It's great. I'll yeah. talk about Bros Bros forever with you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God, where can people find you? Oh sure, Feminist Fonts uh, has an Instagram with the super original name Feminist Fonts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and if you look uh, on my website, which I always feel terribly pretentious, being like, do I have a website? Uh, but I have a website, uh, which is saratnikov.com. All all of the things that I do and have done are on there forever. Cool. And, uh, yeah, you can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday at 4 p.m. on CKUW 95.9 FM Winnipeg, also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. There's a Facebook page, so all Bikini Drive-In. Okay, thanks so much. Bye. Bye. by volunteer community involvement. This is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.